0: Welcome to the Excuse me history podcast. it's been uh three four months since we've released an episode uh yeah, been a little why was that Joe we, we were just a little lazy a little,
1: little hiatus we we we, we talked about mm-hmm. it, but we but now we're doing it.
0: any reason that you took these this time off
1: well uh just you know just just trying to get some introspection just finding myself <laughs> <laughs> finding myself in my yeah. tiny apartment
0: that'd be great right if we all just were like hey guys we're all every everyone in the world is going to take four months just stand side and uh focus on ourselves and then we're all gonna come out better people actually that's actually one of the things that like bothers me the most like when i see like i I, i've been going to bars too like drinking outside Mm -hmm. uh and and stuff like have you gone any like outside bars you see how like in new york they're like all over i've seen it in new york so
1: well i really because not nothing is open in my neighborhood right now um but i Uh i did recently go on a trip outside the city and i saw a ton of people outside um and that was the first time i had been to like a restaurant since like 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 actually sat in a restaurant since this all started
0: well i did so i did a comedy show in pennsylvania on like last friday and that was great but those people were like they were they were a strong community that like went to it was a small pennsylvania town Mm -hmm. so like they all went to that bar already and, like, we're missing each other, which I think is a great thing. But the bars, like, out in New York, where at least where I am in Astoria, there's, like, all, like, everyone was out, like, getting brunch the other day and just, like, kind of, like, trying to, like, resume their lives. And it just, in a way, like, maybe this was just me being, like, uh, kind of judgmental, but, like, I just felt like, oh, we didn't learn anything. Oh, yeah. And that kind of, like, bothered me a little bit. Uh, like, cause like it was, yeah, it wasn't like the sense of community. It was like, it's still like a sense of like, I want to, I want to go back out and it like reclaim my status or whatever of being like a hot person getting brunch. I don't know.
1: No, I, I feel, I feel a lot of that. I, um, I mean, it's just weird cause especially, I mean, I, I feel like it's starting to kind of get back to that in New York where people just want to get out and do things the way they were before. Um, but <laughs> I, I I still haven't seen a lot of that here. But like when I was in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Virginia, just there were a ton of people out like all the time. Like espe- especially where I was, like at the by the end of it, I didn't see like any anybody wearing masks. Um, and yeah, it's just weird to like to to see like people acting like nothing ha- happened or is happening. It, it's kind of weird. It, it like I feel like we're in this weird like kind of limbo period where we're not really sure what exactly is going to happen yeah i mean it's kind of been in limbo for a couple months but like uh i i I feel like people are are, really like they want to get out and do stuff like it's just like they were before and so there's like the testing of the waters right now and i don't know it's it's just kind of (laughs) weird
0: i definitely and i'm not like judging them in the sense that like i am not that like i also have been going to bars and i also don't wear my mask as much as i should and it's it's because of like my personal fear is n- is non-existent not non-existent but like i am not at all worried anymore about getting sick and dying from the coronavirus mm-hmm. which like it but like the the thing that you need that i need to remind myself of is that there's a social responsibility of like You know, like, even, like, like, hey, even though it's, like, this doesn't really affect you, you putting a mask on doesn't do anything, but it's, like, hey, let's all just be a part, let's let's just have some unity for once and try to fight this thing, even if we're fighting it wrong, (laughs) even if the masks don't do shit, which kind of me suspects as well, let's all just agree that we're going to, like like face a you know an opponent together and we and we're not doing that and then and when i see people like just fucking there was a cl- there's a club there's like clubs in in my area and they're like having outdoor club now <laughs> and like my, i like never thought i would take my dog to a club because i was just walking down the street and it's all of a sudden you're in a club and there's like bottle service and like like just all the all the douchebags that i used to be just like hey yo, what's up girl like, you want to come back to my table and like i got an umbrella like if it rains like you're good because i got a, a bottle of vodka and shit it's it's hard so that's like, it's hard to imagine some of those people indoors like
1: just in their apartments and houses not doing it oh my god
0: like, yeah that's a really that's it's funny like a
1: return to the natural <laughs> habitat <laughs> i
0: yeah because i mean like I, I mean i used to be like a club guy but like i never like i went but i never liked it you know what i mean like i um you did it because it was a thing to do um okay so do you want to introduce this topic today
1: yeah let's do it um so this is one that i had it had been on kind of my radar for a little while uh we're going to be talking about the Whiskey Rebellion. I think it's an interesting topic in and it of itself, but I also think there are some lessons to be learned, uh, or maybe some correlations to what's going on in our uh, our current uh, kind of so- social political climate. But yeah, so let's talk about the Whiskey Rebellion. Did you know anything about the Whiskey Rebellion before you may or may
0: not have read this book? <laughs> Can I make the corny joke that everyone makes when they talk about the Whiskey Rebellion? Yeah, sure, do it. At least in the at least in all the videos I've watched. Yeah, yeah. whiskey rebellion what is that like the day after i drink whiskey and and it rebels against my body (laughs) um is that funny joe a little bit i mean uh i can
1: see how someone might think that's funny no it is like it is a very funny funny name like it's a comically named event yes i i think uh there there is something very uh it, there, there is an interesting history to the name, and we'll get into that at some point. But I do, uh, I, it is. Uh, I th- just like the name itself made me want to like actually figure out why it's called the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's get into it. Um, now, the Whiskey Rebellion, uh, it's going to be taking place during the early 1790s. But we got to go back a little before that. Got to set up our context why did this event happen in the 1790s? Well, the, it took place in western Pennsylvania around the settlement that eventually became Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you're unfamiliar with the geography of Pittsburgh, uh, it's, it's interesting to look on a map, but you can tell why Pittsburgh became an important city. It's uh, located along three rivers, uh, and the original settlement uh, is at this point of the confluence of two rivers. Uh, the Allegheny in the north and the Monongahela in the south and where they join that's where the settlement is it becomes a third river the Ohio River um, and the ri- the settlement was originally called by the english the
0: forks of the ohio so like rivers used to be so hot rivers you know back in the rivers day rivers
1: were very hot <laughs> i mean you you want some nice beachfront property um, but you know, if you want to get your goods to market, uh, rivers, I mean, basically at this, it the, the time period we're talking about the 1700s, like 90% of people lived along the coastline, maybe a few miles inland, but if you did live inland, you would have to live along some sort of major river just to be able to get anywhere.
0: Like if Pittsburgh had a, like a Tinder profile back in the 1700s, it'd be like, a uh, huge, huge river, <laughs> long and wide, great for trade, great for trade, swipe right I just like yeah
1: imagine just like a nice, nice broad section of the river that's. <laughs> There's if it is a so. I did go to Pittsburgh recently. Nice veiny broad section. <laughs> P- pick your broadest <laughs> section of the river. That's your profile. The broad. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
0: that would be a tough river to traverse. <laughs> Somebody and you have like Indianapolis so is like it's not about the the length of your river. It's <laughs> like <laughs> it's about the
1: it's how you it's how you use your river. It's how, how you use it, of course. No, but. Um, but yeah, if you just look on in a map, it it seems like it would be a, a good place to put a city. Uh, and the Ohio River in particular uh, goes down to the Mississippi River. So uh, if you're in like Pittsburgh in the 1700s, it was kind of like the original like gateway to the West. Like all westward um, exploration would basically start in Pittsburgh. Um,
0: so it's like so pittsburgh is like marijuana for heroin
1: <laughs> yes it's the gateway
0: <laughs> oh god moving west felt so good i gotta what up i gotta i gotta <laughs> you going to california <laughs> hey uh <laughs> hey uh you want to come to california first one's free second trip to california you gotta pay for it no no right, right. no <laughs> no nope? okay
1: um all right so yeah so the pittsburgh important place geographically uh before the Europeans got there, it was occupied by uh, the six nations of the Iroquois. They used it as hunting ground. And the first Europeans in the area were fur traders. But eventually, white settlers will start... We treated them with respect, right? What's that?
0: <laughs> we treated those those six tribes with respect.
1: Actually, we kind of did. The six nations of the Iroquois, they were, nice. at least at the beginning, eventually, like we kind of pushed them out. But they were one of the more powerful uh indian confederacy so we actually did have to treat them with like a some level of respect um, oh lord! but uh should i
0: should i alleviate my white guilt at all or <laughs> just keep it, keep <laughs> just, it, where it is. maybe just
1: like a, just adjust it like a half like a, a half point down like you don't have to feel <laughs> too bad about them
0: yeah the, well there were okay, there okay. were other and hey, pittsburgh we were con- like uh, logistically obligated to not be an asshole kind of kind um, of, kind of. <laughs> but no the uh the
1: iroquois or the those are the Con- iroquois confederacy they were pretty powerful there were other lesser uh kind of lesser powerful groups like the lenape and the shawnee we didn't treat them as well um <laughs> but um, but the yeah so the first there were fur traders there but in the mid 1700s um english mostly english settlers and uh, scottish settlers will start moving into uh the appalachian mountains uh in the allegheny mountains which is uh the pittsburgh is like in the foothills of the alleghenies and, uh, there were a lot of, I mean, this region, like the Ohio country or the Ohio Valley was basically the first big real estate, uh, like market in the United States or where kind of British colonial, uh, the British colonies, because, uh, all these, English colonists who had settled in Virginia and Maryland and Pennsylvania and the eastern side uh, they needed to expand Uh, we talked a little bit about that in the Jefferson and the Jamestown episode these are all tobacco planters and they're always speculating on land trying to find new land and the Ohio country so basically everything around the Ohio River mostly what is now the state of Ohio became uh, highly coveted Uh, to these English uh, landed gentry, and a bunch of competing companies were formed in the 1750s, or 1740s, 1750s, to buy land in the Ohio country, uh, which they would then eventually sell at some point when those areas were becoming developed. And the most notable of those country or those companies was the Ohio Company of Virginia, which was founded uh, by two. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, though, because that area like Virginia claimed it. In fact, Virginia even claimed Pittsburgh up in like Virginia and Pennsylvania went to war at one point over Pittsburgh. Um, So Virginia basically claimed everything west of the appalachians wow. also weirdly connecticut claimed some uh part of uh, ohio so we're like john brown's everyone, john brown's family was from connecticut they moved to the western reserve of ohio which was like land that like some connecticut company had claimed in cleveland it's kind of weird
0: and everyone was like shut shut up, <laughs> shut, up connecticut. Get, sh- shut your mouth small S state get it get out of here <laughs> go go eat fucking oysters or some shit yeah
1: but uh so the the Ohio Company of Virginia was founded by uh two prominent Virginia families, the Lees, uh and the Washingtons.
0: Can I make one more Connecticut? Yeah, yeah, uh good. Go uh what 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 com- what was the name of the company that settled Ohio? Was it the Dunkin' Donuts Company? <laughs> Imagine Dunkin' Donuts as a like a like a East uh East India trading <laughs> company kinda <laughs> <laughs>
1: They, they, they have a, a monopoly on the donut trade. F- uh, f- They're <laughs> just like
0: exploiting indigenous populations to make their fucking
1: shitty bagels. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> But yeah, so, nice. so there are these competing companies, uh, the Washingtons and the Lees founded that company. There was also another company that was founded by Peter Jefferson, uh, Thomas Jefferson's father. Uh, but they're all hoping that to buy land in Ohio that will eventually one day either they'll develop or they can sell off for a profit. Um, now, there are, are threats to their claims in this region. Um Again, there were other colonies that claimed uh the Ohio country as their own. Of course, there were the people who already lived there who didn't want <laughs> the English to come in and uh buy their land. Uh and then the other major one was the French. Um and that would eventually break out into a war uh in 1754. Uh basically I don't want to get too much into the weeds of the French and Indian War, but uh, George Washington basically starts this war. Uh, it's kind of interesting, like to see like, he has such a really interesting role in both the beginning of the French and Indian War, but also the beginning of the American Revolution. But he, uh, Washington, was sent by the Virginia governor to basically tell the French you have to vacate vacate the Ohio country. They tell them no, so the British start building a fort in Pittsburgh. The French send a larger force, drive the British out. They build their own fort there. Washington is sent again to tell them to leave. While he is being sent there, um, the Fr- he uh, <laughs> ambushes a uh, a French uh, emissary, uh, and they kill this guy, and that sparks like an international incident. Uh, eventually, the French force Washington to surrender uh, his force, and then the French and Indian War starts. Um, and basically, that's basically all centered around Pittsburgh. The British trying to retake Pittsburgh from the French. Uh, And Washington is involved in the inciting incident, and then he's also involved in probably the the most famous uh, part of the war, which was the the Battle of the Monongahela, where Braddock's force got ambushed by the French and Indians and got totally wiped out, and pretty much all the other officers were killed or wounded in the battle uh washington managed to survive though um and continued fighting it was even though he was involved in like all these embarrassing incidents he continues to serve in the french and indian war uh and eventually the french vacate (laughs) pittsburgh and in the after the end of the seven years war they cede the ohio country to the british
0: Nice, you guys won. You got Ohio. They got
1: Ohio now. Um, you
0: did it.
1: <laughs> all that corn, but the bad part. So the British had fought to. They got LeBron James too. They did get LeBron James. Well, they lost him. For they had him twice. Three
0: seasons. How many seasons? Uh,
1: I think they had him for about. I think the first time it was like seven seasons, and then the second time it was like three seasons. I think they had him for ten seasons total.
0: Oh, that's that's a good that's a good amount. And they want... They I I'd, I'd take I. I'd, I'd fight George Washington for ten seasons with of LeBron. They won a cha- on my they won a championship.
1: He can't I mean he he brought a ring to Cleveland, so you can't say that's anything <laughs> negative against LeBron.
0: LeBron LeBron is a French name, right? <laughs> like LeBron. Like I think it sounds yeah, like that, it has that, French roots. I don't it, know.
1: It it actually kinda does. Well it's the, the fort that uh George Washington delivered the message to vacate was called Fort LeBouf, so Named after, Sh- La <laughs> named after Shia LaBeouf
0: uh, <laughs> But no, so Dude, we shouldn't tell it <laughs> <laughs> We should totally name our, our Our bases after like sports And uh, art stars or whatever Yeah, I mean, like, uh, change Fort uh, I'm serving at yeah. What was I say,
1: like Fort Bragg is like Michael Jordan's from North Carolina Like Fort Michael Jordan, rename Fort Bragg Fort Michael Jordan Yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm deploying to fucking uh Tom Brady Airbase in uh, Kuwait. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um
1: but anyway, so fr-
0: that ba- I hear that base is a big diva.
1: <laughs> yeah, he is a big diva. Uh but no, uh so the French and Indian War ends. The bad news, so the, the British get the land, but the bad news is the British bar all settlement west of the Appalachian Mountains because they didn't want to have to deal with fighting the Indians anymore, and it was just easier for them to just, you know, they found the fur trade was just as profitable. We don't need to actually settle this land. Well, that makes all of the the kind of land uh, the landowners, the, the tobacco planters, they were very angry by this. Um, but there would still be... Uh, white settlement in the region is even during all this time that all these wealthy landowners are claiming, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres of land, the people who are actually moving into the region are poor farmers. Um, pe- the guys who had come over to Virginia and Maryland and Pennsylvania as indentured servants uh, and survived. And mo- they're trying to move out to the West because the West offered them, you know, they offered them land, uh, which was basically at by that, by the 1700s, was
0: a little less slavey conditions. A
1: little less slave-y, Um, You know, well, I mean, basically, if you're in the east, there's nowhere to buy land. Uh, all the uh, wealthier families have already bought up most of this good land, and even if land is for sale, most likely the soil isn't at good anymore. So they have to move west anyways. And there's no really, there's no law out there to prevent them from squatting on the land. And so all these white settlers go out there and they uh, kind of develop their own kind of independent culture that, uh, you know, they're all they're mostly English, but they're less likely to be English than people living in the east. There's a lot of Scottish people, Irish, a lot of Germans. Um, And because they're living on the frontier and coming into contact with the various Indian nations, they also became very uh, had a very violent culture. There was no law to, that was going to protect them so they became very good at indian fighting uh they were no, very you know noted for their marksmanship uh but also their kind of brutality fighting against not only the indians but uh colonial officials that they didn't like um and
0: probably their and that culture and that culture lives on today at uh <laughs> patty's irish bar in pittsburgh
1: I mean, you are was well, I read a thing that it's like you're more likely to get into a fight uh in like the southern Appalachian region because like of the the remnants of that like Scots Irish culture and their like <laughs> uh, honor honor culture is like a thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's weird how we all love fights. Yeah, it's fun. I would, like if there's a fight at a bar, I'm I'm definitely watching it. I'm not gonna uh, that's that's juvenile and the neanderthal that's
1: the thing i think i miss from high school the most is fights like i i, <laughs> I would never want to be in a fight but it's fun to watch from the sidelines
0: i mean even like even like uh your love for history is so like ingrained in the idea of like a fight the fight that happens uh even though you don't like agree with like the reason like if you like if it was happening to, if you were living in that time you would be very opposed right yeah to a lot of the a lot of the wars that happened oh
1: i mean yeah Uh, i i i'm opposed to violence in the abstract but i still i think violence is interesting though you know i oh for sure it's the most the most interesting parts of history are the the violent ones
0: (laughs) absolutely we're not we're not talking about the
1: the whiskey time where everyone was nice to each other we're talking about the whiskey rebellion
0: (laughs) like we want to see like the conflict yeah
1: yeah for sure so these uh these westerners again they're they're in addition to being kind of violent and, you know, s- serving their own justice, they're also, their political beliefs were a lot more radical, um, than the people who are living in the East. And a lot of that was kind of inspiration, um, Inspiration came out of some uh, some things that came out of the English Civil War. Uh, the levelers were a group of people who believed in a leveling of society by uh, taxing wealth and taxing uh, proportionally. Um, and so that's a thing they, a lot of the Westerners believed in. And they were also inspired by the Great Awakening, uh, which was taking place in like the 1740s and um a lot of they had developed a lot of egalitarian political and social beliefs because of one their economic condition but they also uh were uh, very religious kind of in that john brown kind of way of uh being very inspired and uh living uh, a lot of them wanted to to live a a more christian life and they believed that the only way to do that is if society was made to be more equal
0: what what did what do you think what do you think uh, kicked that off the great awakening Without getting into it, and I'm sure that's a whole episode, too.
1: uh, Yeah, I mean, it was just because there was, uh, I mean, the the church is always evolving, and I think that it was kind of a reaction to, I guess, kind of the, just just a change in the way, you know, the church operated, and especially in the United States, when the Great Awakening, there was... Uh, a, a lot of people left the the Anglican Church, and you know all those like uh, like the guy. One guy we'll talk about a little bit today. He was a follower of the guy who, uh, sorry, the Methodist Church. So like the Methodists and the Baptists and the Presbyterians, like all these religious denominations, kind of started popping up in this time period. And I think it was just because uh, you know they people. I mean, really did look to religion, and they wanted something that the older kind of the Anglican church didn't offer them. Uh, And so there were a lot of really charismatic uh, religious scholars during this time that inspired uh, like this, you know, great awakening. And there are several periods of that in American history, but this is kind of the first great awakening. Um, Okay. But anyway, so, um, so these, these Westerners, people who are living in Western Virginia, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, a lot of them started kind of, uh developing almost like a separatist movement Uh, a lot of them wanted to form their own colonies in the west Um, western north carolinians in the 1750 or 1760s uh started um their own kind of rebellion or revolution uh it was a group that were called the regulators and the regulators were basically just trying to get more greater regulation in the colonial government um
0: they didn't like the f- one out of ten. What do you think of that name? What the
1: reg- Oh, Regulators is great. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it an eight. An eight. Yeah, It's an eight. That's pretty good. I like. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a good. Uh, We're the regulators.
0: It's it's kind. Of, it's like I think it's douchey, but then it's also like uh, I kind of like it.
1: I there's another group called the regulators. I think it was. Um, in the 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 Lincoln County War, which is what Billy the Kid was involved in, the, one of those groups were called the Regulators. It's a, it's a good one. Uh, it's not
0: like four syllables is like a good a good. Uh, it feels very like you know British punk kind of. Yeah. The Regulators. It's like it's the- simple.
1: You understand what they want. They want regulation, and <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna do it they're going to regulate we're here to regulate but they basically they wanted society to be more fair uh they wanted uh again more fair taxation they wanted to lower the qualifications for voting and office holding uh they wanted land reform because again they they hate that these landowners are speculating on the land and not actually developing it um and so they started um doing kind of these vigilante actions uh probably their most famous event was they attacked the town of hillsborough um and they basically all the colonial officials like the judge and all the people they didn't like they held mock trials for them and then they destroyed their property um and they were starting to really grow in the 1760s uh the colonial governor of north carolina was kind of sympathetic to them because You know, their real enemy, they didn't feel like was the governor. It was the the landowners. Uh, But eventually, the governor was like, these guys are getting too big. We have to handle them. So they sent the militia to stop them. And they fought this battle. Eventually, North Carolina militia defeats the regulators, and they all kind of scatter. Um, But they were kind of an early example of, like, this Western independence. And one of their leaders uh, was a guy named Herman Husband. Um, And Herman Husband, he unlike most of the regulators, was actually a fairly wealthy guy. He was uh, the son of uh, planters in Maryland. Um, but he had a very, was also one of those guys who was really inspired by the great awakening. Uh, he left the Anglican church and became a Quaker. Uh, but he was also, he really wanted to create a more just society and a Christian, like a, you know, create a, uh, uh, was it kingdom of heaven on earth and all that? Uh, and he thought that the corruption of the east had to be stamped out. Um, and so he was a leader of the regulators, but he was against the violence that they were using. And so during the when the colonial militia. Was sent to attack the regulators. He fled because he didn't want to be a part of the violence. Uh, but he was a fugitive, and he ended up fl- uh, fleeing to Western Pennsylvania, uh, kind of just east of Pittsburgh. Uh, and so he'll come up in our our story a little bit later. Uh, but Herman Husband, uh, again, kind of one of those early um, kind of radical uh, political leaders who believed that the West could be something special uh, that. Uh, the East was already ruined um, by the the large landowners and the tobacco planters. The West could be something special. All right. So uh, one last guy. We're So t-
0: that's a, that's, a, that's just the hope of society.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that was, I mean, part of the, the West and is that the in early yeah. American history was always represented kind of it's, uh, something new, something fresh. Um, they
0: well, I mean, like that. Like I think I think one of the big problems of our current era. Is that like we don't have something to explore? Like 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 the 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 hope of a new land that can be made good. Uh, I brought this up before on the podcast, but like uh, I used to play Roller Coaster Tycoon, <laughs> and like I or if you've ever played any kind of simulator game, like you would real like you kind of have this idea that like as soon as you fuck up your you which you always do. I always fucked up my uh, my theme park. Do you know? Have you ever have you played the yeah, game? Yeah, I played it before. Yeah. So like if you screw it up, you're like. Instead of like, oh, let me let me fix it. I'm always like, no, let's let's start again. Let's try to let's try to make it good from the beginning. And it's just like a good. It's like that's just a thing that we have. And it's like okay, like well, well, the next place we do, we can make that perfect thing instead of like fixing the shit that I'm in. Yeah,
1: and for the especially for the the westerners or the you know the poor farmers and the landless people, it was. Uh, I read a book. They called it the the safety valve, uh, and the, they said a a big reason why or a big way they were able to kind of deal with unrest was instead of actually reforming society, was just letting people just keep moving westward. Um, and there was yeah. there was always there was always <laughs> hey, you want to you want to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, if you know, the thought was that there was always more land westward. Eventually, uh, that stop being that way <laughs> uh and there's there's a really good book about it called the end of the myth uh, and it talks a lot about the anxiety from the the closing of the frontier uh oh shit that's a good book um but there were so and there were other westerners who were a little more moderate in their political beliefs uh one guy that's going to come up a lot in this story is a guy named hugh henry brackenridge uh he was the son of scottish farmers who immigrated to Pennsylvania
0: in 1750? Uh, he If you had to guess what Hugh? Have you had to guess what Hugh Henry Backridge, What his like? Like if you met him today, like what business do you think he would be in? What business? Uh, uh, he, he'd be a uh, hi. Hey Joe, my name is Hugh Henry Backridge. <laughs> are
1: you or you? Oh, you must be in importing exporting. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, that, right. that sounds like a very fancy name. If any person, I, f- yeah. I feel like if you use three names. Uh like you you're using your middle name. You you think you're fancy.
0: Yeah. The first name Hugh. Yeah. is already pretentious. All right. We're going to You got Hugh. Like Hugh. You got Hugh's got a chip on it. Then you got shoulder.
1: Henry. So you got a little henry got, got a little alliteration there. You got double H. Yeah. You yeah,
0: got double H and then then the fucking the closer, Rackenray. the last name just knocks it out of the park with pretentiousness. Oh, yeah. It's just it's a three. Bracken.
1: It's a three-syllable a three-syllable word. It's got ridge in it. Bracken. It's got a ridge. It's got a ridge. He already
0: owns a ridge. <laughs> His last name owns a ridge. They're <laughs> elevated. <You're> d- <laughs> that name is elevated. Uh, <laughs> it, oh, he's almost as as big as Hugh Henry Brecken Mountain, but he's close. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <coughs> so Brackenridge, Ridge, he. Uh, no coughing on the I'm podcast, sorry. Joe. We can't cough. I'm, I'm not sick i promise no he uh he was a son of scottish poor scottish farmers he was determined to escape that he didn't want to be a farmer uh he went to the college of new jersey uh which uh, princeton Ugh. princeton university um and there
0: is a college the college of new jersey is, is a college though
1: is that yeah well uh, uh, I ju- that is the original name of princeton though it was called the college of new jersey what is the is the There's current some- college of new jersey on the level of princeton
0: yeah, it's some it it actually actually, actually. I mean it do, it does sound like they're riding some coattails, but uh, <laughs> the TCN TCNJ is actually one of the better schools in New Jersey. Oh. Like it is legitimately a good school, but uh, yeah, it's not Princeton, but
1: it, it's up there. It ain't no Princeton. It's better than Rutgers. All right, <laughs> <laughs> you should know. Um, yeah. So anyway, so he w- he was very inspired by uh in the enlightenment philosophy that he was introduced to while he was at Princeton. He was also Brackenridge was um One of his fellow uh, students there was James Madison, so he was in good company while he was there, Uh, and eventually he became a lawyer, uh, moved to Philadelphia during the Revolutionary War. He started a newspaper, which failed, uh, and then he moved out to Pittsburgh uh, in 1781. And in 1781, Pittsburgh had about 400 people living there. And like a lot of people, he thought, you know, I can't make, make my name here in the East, it's already too crowded, let's move out to the West um and
0: that's so crazy yeah just you like just, that thought just, like it's like it's way more crowded now and no one yeah, like yeah. here it,
1: well, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's it, it would just be nice if like yeah there was just a place you could just pick up and move to and to be like i'll be the first guy to do this thing here <laughs> um, yeah i mean you can do that but those places suck they do suck um But for, you know, he became a successful frontier lawyer, um, and he was kind of notable for, he represented a lot of wealthier people, but he also um, kind of angered people, uh, the wealthier people, because he uh, would represent um, squatters in court. Um, And he was a bit of a racist, uh, didn't really uh, speak well of Indian people, but he uh, did actually represent uh, an Indian in a court case. Uh, so he had this reputation for never picking a side. Uh, he would represent anybody, and he was, he in Brackenridge in this story will always kind of serve as the voice of moderation, uh, which at times okay. kind of serves him well, and at times uh, ends up kind of uh, screwing him over. Um, but so this is you know we're talking about you know the we're moving up to the American Revolution, seventeen seventies, seventeen eighties. Uh, Revolutionary War was very expensive. Uh, It cost a lot of money to create an army out of nothing and create a government out of mostly nothing. Um, And so there needed to be funding for the revolution. A lot of it came from the European powers, uh, most notably France, but also the Dutch and the Spanish. Uh, And then there were also colonists in, uh, you know, American colonists who would fund the revolution. Uh, And one of the notable guys uh, was a guy named Robert Morris, also of Pennsylvania. Uh, He had come over from England uh, in the 1740s, became a very successful merchant, Uh, he was involved in the slave trade, uh, and then eventually he would open up a bank uh, in Pennsylvania. So he was a merchant, financier, very wealthy guy, uh, and he became one of the primary funders of the revolution. And the way they were going to fund this revolution was uh, by selling bonds. Uh, Both the individual states as well as the Confederation Congress were selling bonds to mostly wealthy investors. uh, And then eventually those bonds hopefully would pay out uh, to the people who were buying them. Uh, And so a big debate at the end of the war was how are we going to repay the bondholders? Uh, because Is
0: it going to be like a state level or a federal level? Right? That was the
1: big debate. Also, just whether or not they would repay them at all, because at that point they were basically broke. They had no money, and then they had no real line of credit. Um, and so there were some who wanted to just do away with the, the war debt. Uh, some people thought it should be paid by, for by the individual states. Uh, there was a lot of debate in that. Uh, but Morris uh, and uh, his supporters, the eventually kind of the guys who become the Federalists, uh, they wanted it to be handled by the central government. Um, and one of his most kind of protégés or his biggest supporters uh, was Alexander Hamilton. Um, and Hamilton had fought in the Revolution. Uh, he was—he uh, became Washington's kind of de facto chief of staff. Uh, he commanded uh, an uh, infantry battalion at the Battle of Yorktown. He was very obsessed with military glory. That will kind of come up again and again in this story. Uh, but Hamilton left the Army a hero. He became a congressman, and he and Morris began developing a plan to try to consolidate all of the state and uh, uh, national debt into one big national debt that they would pay off um, through taxes. Uh, And so by the end of the war, uh, I mean, there's all this economic uncertainty. Again, all these bondholders are worried that they're not going to be paid back. Uh, Also, a lot of these Western farmers that are living uh, in the Pittsburgh area uh, a lot of them have no money at this point, uh, there's, a, they have, all of, there's no cash in, at this point really, the, there are no banks in the west so they have no access to cash and uh, a lot of them are afraid that they're going to lose their land or they're going to get kicked off, uh, they can't afford uh, to pay their rent and they're going to get kicked off. And uh, there's also uh, a a big problem in the army uh, because the officers are worried that they're not going to get their pensions paid. Uh, They're also owed a lot of back pay and all the enlisted men are also owed back pay as well. And so they're... There's all this debate about what's going to happen. How are we going to pay the officers? How are we going to pay the soldiers? There are a lot of people at the end of the American Revolution who are very worried about their economic situation. Um,
0: how are we getting paid? How are we getting, how, are these, how are these bonds getting paid How are we getting out?
1: paid? How are we going to pay the soldiers? Um, and in the Army, uh, a mutiny nearly broke out. Uh, this is usually referred to as the Newburgh Crisis. Uh, but basically what happened was there were people in the Congress, uh, Morris, probably Morris and Hamilton, were encouraging the officers – because the the army hadn't disbanded yet and they're encouraging the army uh, officers basically come to the congress with a list of demands if those demands are not met then refuse to disband the army and basically use the army as leverage and so um i mean you could see i mean there's a point where it almost uh, the united states could have become like a military dictatorship because very easily one of these generals could have taken over and you know, taken over the government at that point. And there were a few generals who m- were involved in this there. It's kind of sketchy, but uh, Hamilton who uh, wrote to Washington and he was like, Hey, you got to take control of the situation. Um, and Washington did. He gave this big inspirational speech, all the officers, uh, basically gave up the mutiny. Uh, but it showed, like, how, you know, oh, these, That's crazy. these anxieties... Yeah, I mean, you know, there it was a very tense situation for a while, and, and Washington kind of had that effect a lot. He was always this, uh, the voice of reason, and <clears throat> he commanded such respect that, you know, I mean, at the end of the war, he faced the same kind of economic situation that they did. You know, he had been away from his farm for years, and he was in economic debt and all that, so he was able to convince them, you know, don't betray the revolution let's see this thing out
0: um and it worked he was the biggest whiskey producer in the world
1: oh yeah or in the country yeah he was i mean uh i mean basically everybody um if you own some sort of property you produce whiskey uh and yeah he did it. hell yeah but um but yeah so washington <laughs> Um, I mean, basically, I mean, at this point, yeah, it's basically just whiskey, but whiskey doesn't even really, it probably wouldn't even look like, or taste like the whiskey that we're drinking. Cause mostly they really weren't like aging it very much. And, uh, it's like, uh, like the brown color that whiskey has is given by like the barrels that they're aged in. And they usually didn't do a lot of that.
0: They were, they were trying to get it out yeah,
1: ASAP. Drinking that white lightning. yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so there's a a lot of tension at the end of the war. Eventually, the officers, you know, they did get paid. uh, But there were also Western farmers in Massachusetts uh, who uh, rebelled and started attacking uh, some of the, they were attacking um, the, uh, like, sheriffs and the people who were uh, evicting them from their land um and western pennsylvania also there's a similar thing going on and they were actually at one point the some of the people in western pennsylvania tried to create their own uh independent state you know, they were going to secede from pennsylvania uh, and they were going to call it west sylvania um, but that <laughs> <laughs> that sucks yeah it does <laughs> uh not not super creative uh, yeah. but there were you know there was a lot of resistance to that like brackenridge uh he kind of tried to talk the radicals out of doing that um but there's a, a huge debate uh in congress uh not the you know the national congress but also in the the state legislatures over how we're going to pay repay this debt uh and eventually um that leads to you know a crisis in the government the Confeder- uh, confederation government kind of fails so they create a new government uh using the constitution as their basis um and Hamilton's kind of his vision for this new country, this new economic system, uh, was basically to get control of the financial system into the hands of the people at the top of the government. Um, and also a big part of that was going to be enlarging the debt. Uh, because the only way you're going to develop uh, credit as a country is to have some sort of debt and pay that back. Um, and so he wanted to pay back the debt in full, and he also wanted the federal, the new federal government to assume all the state debts. Um, and then after that, they would pay back all the bondholders in full, and they would also pay the bondholders' interest. And so the people who, who were holding onto these bonds were about to make a lot of money um and then the what do you think what do you
0: think what do you think of that like do you think that was a good like do you do you think he was right to have that priority um i don't know i mean
1: right i don't know is the right i don't know if it's that's a hard word i would say that (laughs) for for his vision and really i mean the united states is kind of a result of hamilton's vision um you know uh, you know there's always the the competing Uh, founding fathers and what their influence was. Well, I mean, what the United States ended up being was largely a result of what Hamilton, I think, wanted. Um, I I think what I would say is that, you know, it was very um, you know, a lot of it was taking uh, the power of the government and the financial system out of the hands of, you know, the poor people. Uh, And I think a lot of that, it traces back to uh, the Constitution and what you know, Hamilton was doing uh, in his role as the Treasury Secretary, because he'll be Washington chooses him uh, to be that in the, his first administration. Um, but basically, his plan was to create, you know, a government that would, it would be a strong federal government and the uh, they would get loans from federally chartered banks. Uh, Those loans would go to pay for infrastructure projects like canals and roads and eventually railroads. um, And then they would pay back that debt um, and so, and they and the they would get uh, people they knew, like people who were they were uh, friends with or allies with, would be chosen to do these projects. So it would be kind of like this system of money revolving from the government to the people, uh, to the wealthy people, and kind of in this circular motion. Um, but that's uh, largely, I mean, how you know the beginning of the federal government that was. Ham- uh, largely, you know, Hamilton's plan, uh, in the early, I mean, he created a, f- you know, financial system out of nothing. I mean, he, if, if anything, he was an economic genius. Um, but a big, uh, but a big, that, that big debate of what was going to happen with the debt raged on, uh, in the early years after the constitution. And eventually they settled on a compromise where the state, the federal government would take o- or take all the f- state debt, um, and the new, f- Capital of the United States, the federal city, was going to be put uh, along the Potomac River. Eventually, it becomes Washington
0: D.C. Was that that was um, was that to appease Virginians?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the the biggest opposition to the the debt uh, solution was coming from Madison uh, in particular. But the the anti-federalist opposition uh, was led by Madison and the Virginians, and so they were they basically did and, that to and appease time the to-
0: Yeah. Like Virginia and Massachusetts were the stu- two strongest states at the time, right? Yeah,
1: I mean they had really been the, the leaders of the revolution. I guess you could say Pennsylvania at this point is getting pretty powerful because the capital wasn't. Philly. It was in Philly, uh, and Philadelphia was one of the larger cities. But uh, but definitely it's so weird uh,
0: to think of Pennsylvania as important.
1: <laughs> well, I mean like <laughs> even Virginia. I mean like Virginia today. I mean it still has some importance because you know D.C. is basically there, and and there's a huge government. Pro- uh, Uh, presence there, but it's weird to think of as like Virginia as being the, like the most powerful state.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, um, but yeah, that, that, uh, that compromise was really controversial because uh, Jefferson was kind of also involved in that. And Jefferson felt like Hamilton kind of duped him uh, into uh, making that compromise. Uh, But he was the guy who kind of served as the go between, between Hamilton um, and Madison in that deal. Uh, But probably the most uh, kind of sinister part of that, so... They come up with this compromise. They're going to pay back all the bondholders in full. Well, what Hamilton and his uh, his allies did was they spread the word to all their friends, and they said, "Hey, all this uh, all these bonds are going to be paid back in full. Go out and buy bonds." And so what they started doing was uh, these uh, oh, these wealthier investors start going into Western Pennsylvania and Western Virginia and going to farmers because I mean some of these small farmers had bonds as well. A lot of them had um, the government had requisition supplies from them and they had like uh, you know IOUs from the government so these bondholders were basically like hey who knows if these bonds are ever going to get paid back I'll offer you you know 25 uh you know 25 cents for what you paid for this uh because they were so cash poor they needed the money then to pay back their uh the people they owed money to so th- all these small farmers and they didn't get
0: like the facebook notification that their <laughs> bonds are gonna get paid nope soon.
1: nope didn't get that notification uh <laughs> oh, so the uh, you know they ripped off a lot of these farmers and and jefferson jefferson like talked a lot about how he he resented hamilton for that whole thing he it was kind of his Before that, he really didn't know who Hamilton really was, and I think that was kind of his introduction to him, and he felt like he he was a real slimy guy. Um, But the other really important thing is not only does the federal government is going to assume all of the debt and they're going to pay back all the bondholders, but they're also, how are they going to pay for that? Um, well, Hamilton's uh, vision for that was a tax on uh, domestically distilled spirits, um, or an excise tax. And that was primarily going to affect whiskey.
0: Excuse me? Um, did, you say, did you say you're going to tax my whiskey? Yeah, so we... Like, what do you think? Like, what do you think? Like, I'm trying to, like, I have three kids to, to raise and shit, and, like... You certainly just come home and not drink whiskey. Is that what you are saying? Well, so
1: you know, we we just fought this revolution and
0: we got to pay it back somehow. I don't don't give a I don't give a fuck about your revolution. Like I am fucking, I am like struggling day in day out. Okay, like I like I pay three dollars for whiskey and that's it. Well, I mean, if I have to pay three seventy for whiskey, then I don't get to drink as much whiskey, and that's not acceptable to me.
1: Well, I mean, is that a bad thing? I mean, you know, I listen. I started
0: a war. I started a war for for stamps. My cousin died because we were like with we like no stamp taxes and honestly like in my opinion whiskey is very very much more important than stamps well okay it, but it, and now you're gonna you're gonna go stamp you're gonna go get taxes is that what you're doing yeah I mean uh we think it's a very reasonable <laughs> thing you know just just pay it all right listen Alexander over in Boston okay <laughs> why don't you come over here to three rivers Pittsburgh and you talk to us. You look us in the eyes and say that us smaller distilleries who are trying to who, who don't we like we don't trust your currency. We don't trust anything that you do. Like why don't you come and tell us to the face uh, that our whiskey yeah. is worth less? Uh,
1: I will come and tell you. I'll also bring uh, thirteen thousand uh, troops to tell you as well. That's a lot of troops. That's a lot of troops. Honestly. I
0: was not expecting that kind of reaction. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> that's So that's basically what happens. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but basically, so, you know, whiskey, uh, the, the federal, this new tax to pay for the debt uh, is going to affect uh, the distillers of whiskey and the people who buy that whiskey. Um, and it disproportionately would affect the, the small farmers and the small, like, non-industrial distillers. Uh, but whiskey was, uh, you know, uh in- integral part of western culture uh at this point point it was a, it was a
0: mix it was a mix of like like uh demand like it it was a high demand product yeah but it was also like the fact that it was like a like the syntax kind of thing where they're like all right well you can it's a guilt free tax because you shouldn't be getting drunk yeah
1: i mean they hamilton and and the federalists really did try to paint the westerners as these drunken slovenly idiots and the whiskey tax was going to be good for them uh you know they don't need to be they don't need to be drinking that much anyways
0: if anything we slow them down a little bit
1: (laughs) maybe they won't beat their wives as often did (laughs) hamilton
0: get beat up at a bar in pittsburgh what happened uh no he got his ass whooped and he's like i'm taxing alcohol now
1: I, i think well I, I am not a, a, Hamilton, a Hamilton fan, and the thing I hate most about the musical is that it makes him out to be this underdog. Uh, but he really hated like he he really loved the idea of um, the people, the smartest people, and the most uh, the most talented people making all the decisions. And he really did not like uh, the poor westerners. He had a,
0: a very low opinion of them. Um, but yeah, so they. But whiskey. You should make a new musical called <laughs> Hamilton Sucks. I would. I would write that the music. <laughs> yeah.
1: But no, he. Uh, the the whiskey uh, again. Everybody. Everybody distilled whiskey uh, because I mean, one. Everyone. You know, you're growing rye and corn and wheat and it was you could sell those raw grains but you would make a lot more money if you turned it into whiskey and whiskey was could last longer than beer would so if you if you're transporting your goods over the mountains into the east uh whiskey is going to last longer and it's going to make you more money so everybody was making it and everybody drank it i mean you know it is funny like hamilton does kind of unfairly describes these people as these these drunken idiots but they did drink a lot like they they drank way more whiskey than we do today uh I, I,
0: good old I'm, not, I'm not
1: trying to insult your, your your drinking prowess rob but i even you i, I don't think could handle the, am- <sighs> the amount of whiskey that these guys are drinking
0: should i take my offense out on this podcast <laughs> uh yes i did i'm already producers. done with that glass mm-hmm. of whiskey by the way oh wow that was quick
1: <laughs> we're we're a little over halfway there uh oh shit all right well i guess we could we could end the podcast right now <laughs> no, no no
0: we're getting good we're getting the good part Yeah, yeah, no, of um, not.
1: but no whiskey again it's a huge part of the culture in the economy it, it was basically the cash crop of the west uh you know they're not growing tobacco it's like
0: tobacco it's with, with tj yeah yeah Can we talked to the, the tj episode you
1: would you would pay your debts uh with uh like you could pay your landlord in whiskey uh which i think is a pretty good deal um yeah so that again very important and so this tax it was going you know the the distillers would obviously pass it on to the consumers the cost of the tax um, but the large-scale distillers could afford to lower their prices and basically drive all the small distillers um, out of business and uh so these these westerners they immediately uh hate this idea of the tax they're like this we can't afford to pay it um you know we're already in such like dire economic straits right now and so resistance to the tax began pretty much immediately, um, and they would deal with uh, they would deal with it the way Western Westerners always dealt with um, kind of meddling from the East. Uh, anybody who was sent in uh, to do any kind of tax collecting uh, or anything like that, uh, they would tar and feather them. Uh, nice, and, yeah, get them. That uh, that was the.
0: It was how hot was the tar? That's what I was thinking as I was reading this. Like how hot is how hot was it? I don't know exactly how hot it Cause, is. Because they survived. It wasn't like it wasn't like burn your skin off hot. Oh right? well,
1: it would. So the thing they talk about the most is it would. Like most people did survive it, but it would be probably the most painful experience you would go through. And the tar. I mean, some of the t- sometimes like it would mutilate people. Uh, so it could like uh it could do a lot of damage uh particular, particularly to your uh to your to your junk uh <laughs> it would uh fu- oh, fuse skin yeah. fuse
0: skin together um so it was because v- i mean like when we, when we did the like the the um like the ottoman empire episode where mm-hmm. we, and like those guys would dump like oil over the side of the the, the castle yeah. or whatever that shit was like melt your skin off hot. Yeah,
1: it's it's not quite that hot, uh, but it is meant to yeah. like stick to your skin. Uh, but it but it's also not only Ugh. are like you know they're they're stripping you naked, they're putting hot tar on you and feathers, and then shame, yeah, and just leaving you shame, leaving you in the woods, um, with uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and if shame and uh if you saw somebody who had had that happen to you you're not going to help them uh because a big part of why the whiskey rebellion grew it to the size it did was because uh, you know they were the people who are fighting against you know the tax collectors you know it's you know it's not only are we fighting against them we're also fighting against the people in our community that are Aiding them, so if you help a tax collector in any way, or you work with the federal government, we're going to come after you too. And that was the advantage that they always had was that the the people who were the tax collectors were always people who lived in the region. Uh, it was basically they would pick yeah. somebody to be.
0: Wait, is wait, like wait, 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 what are you saying? Are you saying Greg <laughs> wants money for my whiskey? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, you, uh,
1: yeah, I heard Greg got a Fuck new. you, Greg. Greg got a new job. He's
0: a fucking tax collector now. <laughs> He says he gets money if he takes money for my whiskey. Uh fuck you, Greg. <laughs> I know your family. I know where you're from. I will come burn down your house, man. Uh <laughs> I'm dating your sister. <laughs>
1: so but so they immediately start resisting um the A lot of people start meeting together to kind of say, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to resist this? They, so they, uh, they have a, a, a big meeting in uh, September of 1791 uh, at this tavern called the Sign of the Green Tree. And basically what they decide is that, um, you know, they're going to write a petition to the government. Uh, we're going to write, you know, Washington seems like a reasonable guy. Let's just write them tell them what our problem is we can't afford this tax um and so maybe the government will reconsider uh well you know while that is happening uh the first c- tax collector who is chosen they tar and feather him it was a guy named uh <laughs> robert johnson um and hey guys i'm here to, uh, to implement the tax <laughs> so. what, what was that <laughs> you're gonna what now um
0: hey guys, let's, let's, let's all calm down let's calm, come <laughs> No, I just why, got the job. Was...
1: Why why is everybody why are you carrying that bucket of feathers, man? <laughs> what are you gonna do with that? Um, but no, a gang of Is that talk? <laughs> uh, a gang of fifteen guys cornered him on the road one night and Tartan feathered him. Uh the other thing that these guys would do was they would House wear How's his junk? W- how's his junk? Not good. <laughs> not <laughs> not good? good? Oh no. Um, I, but the the other thing that these guys would do is they would wear disguises. A lot of times they would dress up um in, you know, Indian garb. Um, uh, but the other thing they would do is they would wear blackface, um which <laughs> 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 uh immediately would get them cancelled today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh <laughs> Something, uh, but uh, but blackface was like a very common thing that people would do when you were uh, attacking the government in some way. It was actually, in, in England, it was actually something they would do there as well. And in the 1700s, uh, the English government uh, banned, or the British government banned blackface. It was a, uh, a punishable crime to blacken your face. So very woke uh, on the part of the 1700s British government.
0: I'm sure it was because they, <laughs> didn't, they just wanted to not, yeah. they wanted to know who did it so that they can find them. Yeah. Um, not because they cared about people. Of course not. Uh, but Robert
1: Johnson, he recognized some of his attackers. Uh, the most notable of them uh, were these: uh, the two guys, uh, John and Daniel Hamilton. Uh, no relation to Alexander Hamilton, uh, but they were these two Western leaders. John Hamilton was uh, a militia leader uh, and actually, actually a, f- a fairly successful farmer. Daniel, less so. Uh, he kind of exemplified the... Uh, The Westerner who had come out West, um, he lost a lot of his land, he had fought in the revolution, uh, but he was kind of a downwardly mobile guy, Uh, and Daniel Hamilton was the guy who led the attack on uh, the tax collector Robert Johnson. Um, But the the biggest kind of enemy that that they will have uh, was a guy named General John Neville. Uh, and john neville he was selected by the federal government to be the uh, tax inspector for the four western counties of pennsylvania Um, and he had moved into the region in the 1770s and he was basically the richest guy in pittsburgh Um, he had a a house kind of like jefferson he had like a house on a hill or on a a mountain Um, and as (laughs) as compared to most of the people who lived in the region he had uh i guess like the nicest house he had wallpaper that was like a big thing uh he oh, did look at you you got
0: flowers on your wall you <laughs> uh
1: but the Nevilles uh became basically the most powerful family in the pittsburgh region um, he was a, uh, he was a general in the American Revolution and he had come west as a, an officer. but you know his, uh, his brother-in-law was the commander at the at Fort Fayette, which was the, the fort in Pittsburgh uh, and his son-in-law Isaac Craig was the quartermaster at the fort. And so being that he was one of the largest uh, basically the biggest farmer in the region, uh, all the uh, goods and supplies, That were sold to the fort he sold them and it was his brother-in-law and his son-in-law who were setting the prices uh and so they basically had a monopoly on the the military economy of that region um and so john neville was kind of
0: great business plan great
1: no it's uh the the, it is a great i mean the secret it was funny they they even the the federal or the secretary of uh war henry knox was like why are you buying goods like this like for this much money it should not cost this amount of money for uh for pants man um but so that and then we never did it again <laughs> i hope yeah um but the Nevilles they were kind of became the symbol um in the region uh the, kind of the 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 enemy uh to the the, the poor Western farmers because not only were they the wealthiest family and they controlled the economy uh, but they also became the 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 tax collector or like the head tax collector in the region um, and so after they tarred and feathered uh, Robert Johnson they're going to continue to do that uh, they anytime a new guy comes in to collect a tax they will attack him um, the the federal government sends out a Uh, a marshal to uh, issue out warrants to the people who had a uh, tarred and feathered Robert Johnson. Uh, Well, the guy who was serving out the warrants, they tarred and feathered him. Uh. (laughs) Uh, So a little bit of, a little bit of a pattern there. Uh, and then violence continued into the winter of 1791, uh, but things kind of calmed down for a little while, uh, in the early 1792, uh, the federal government, re- uh, receives the grievances of the Western farmers that they had, the, the petition that they had sent and Congress is debating the whiskey tax. Uh, well, Hamilton basically just, uh, you know he dismisses all of their grievances he's saying you guys uh this your situation isn't as bad as you think it is it's not going to really hurt the distillers because again they can pass off the tax to the consumers and if they don't if it hurts them uh, again in the end they're just buying less whiskey so what's the big deal uh they do they do it sounds like a familiar argument. (laughs) yeah uh they do reform the law a little bit uh but for the most part things kind of stay the same. And so uh, they will continue to try to collect the tax. Um, another military officer and uh, landowner uh, named William Faulkner uh, rent, rented out his tavern uh, to John Neville to basically be his office, a tax collecting office. Uh, and everybody in the region kind of, they respected Faulkner. So they are like, you know maybe maybe don't do that man not not a good look
0: dude if i if i was a if i was a new like tax collector i would show up tarred and feathered you know what are you gonna do to me man
1: <laughs> oh we'll just what? we'll just come at we'll me we'll just hang you <laughs> <I'm> just a, <laughs> <aw>. ah. <laughs> well that didn't go the way i wanted it
0: that's not fun that's not no it's
1: not um but so they they politely suggested this guy hey don't let this guy or neville use your your tavern to collect the tax he refuses he's like hey it's my property i can do whatever i want with it well one day he's riding his horse along the road and then a guy comes up to him and he's like hey you should come with me i got we got some things to tell you uh and they uh him and a few other guys uh people who had been involved in the all these tarring and featherings they threatened him to his face it's like if you don't uh, we will you know we will burn down your house if you uh, don't stop this um, so they continue the local leaders continue to meet uh, and discuss strategy and plans they held, held a convention in Pittsburgh uh, this time the the more moderate voices uh, which had kind of won out before stayed away um, and the radical voices start to take over uh, the rebellion and they're basically like okay no more you know, no, no more conciliation. We're just going to attack anybody who comes here. uh, And our demands are that, you know, the tax must be repealed. Uh, The Neville, uh, John Neville must be removed from his position as the tax inspector. Um, And anybody uh, uh, who collaborates with the government, uh, they will support attacking them. Uh, and then oh, two days after the convention uh they go back to that uh, guy faulkner's house and they shoot up his uh, tavern they don't set it on fire uh because one one guy was like hey this is not safe uh we could cause the entire town to set on fire let's just very nicely take it apart piece by piece <laughs> uh so they they destroyed his house but in a very nice way um <laughs> And so all this violence is going on. They're tarring and feathering everybody. They like
0: reflective belts on and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so the violence continues to escalate. Um, and so the federal government starts to really respond to this. And Hamilton, Hamilton had always wanted to use the military force to go in and suppress the rebels from the first time he had heard about it. Uh, but the the more moderate voices in the administration, like Washington um, and some of the other guys, were like, well, we, we don't have we don't know if we had the legal means to do so yet. You know, this, we have to let, we have to yeah. exhaust all the legal means first. Uh, and so this is a real, this,
0: this, this is the real, the real point of this whole thing, yeah. right. Is like, should, should we, should the federal government act Yeah. What is, on this what, disagreement? What act? is
1: an appropriate use of uh, federal military force and you know, what should precede it? Um, and in this case, you know, it took a long time. Again, you know, the the first tarring and feathering happens in 1791. Uh, well, it's not until four years later before they actually send in troops uh, to put it down. Uh, but the first thing they do is they send out a federal agent, this guy named George Clymer. Uh, and George Clymer is kind of funny because he... Uh, didn't take your suggestion of tarring and feathering himself but he was smart enough to not identify himself as a federal inspector Uh, (laughs) and the first thing but he did he went under the pseudonym of Henry Knox he didn't
0: wear the the female body inspector (laughs) t-shirt when he walked around the club Uh,
1: <laughs> no, he uh, was smart enough not to do When he that. went
0: to Neville's Bar. yeah, <laughs> but That's good. But he, good idea. But he
1: went under the pseudonym of Henry Knox. Uh, and Henry Knox, I mentioned his name a little earlier. He was the Secretary of War. Well, nobody knew what Henry... The only thing people knew about Henry Knox was that he was a fat guy. He was, like, really large. And George Clymer was not very large. So that he immediately drew attention to himself. So he kept having to change his fake name. But he would, like, choose, like, a goofy name. And people were like that's an interesting name. Let me ask every question about you and let me hear about your life story. So like he, it kept making him nervous because he thought people were trying to like figure out who he was. Um, and so <laughs> eventually he gets out to Pittsburgh and he interviews uh, John Neville.
0: He interviews William Faulkner and come, that's com- like the cops are talking to you and you're trying to like get away with something. And you're like, like, Hey, what's your name? And you're like, uh, my name's a uh, Bobby Schlongenstick. stick. And they're like, "All right, Schlong and Stick, what? Uh, what are you doing in the the bank right now?" Like,
1: oh, nothing. You know, just came to check out the bank situation.
0: Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta just wearing, wearing all that the black leather. Oh, this black leather. Oh, don't, uh, my name's not Schlong and Schlinger. It's actually. Uh, uh, Berkowski Roni. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that's my cousin's name. Are you, (laughs) are they related? No. (laughs) Oh no. Uh,
1: so he, but he gets to Pittsburgh. He interviews all the people and then comes to the conclusion that violence is getting out of hand. Intervention is necessary. Um, the another tax collector uh, in one of the other counties uh, was repeatedly threatened uh and, like he would he would just keep going from house to house and uh, they you know collect the tax and if uh if they didn't pay the tax or they were uh, running illegal stills they would he would find them and people would just keep like punching him in the face like every time he would go house to house and, <laughs> and but he kept doing it he was uh, a determined he guy he get coming
0: home and like his wife Karen or whatever, is like, hey, like uh what's his name again? Uh Benjamin's real name? Benjamin. And they're like, hey Ben, how's how's your day? And he's like, not oh, good, Karen. Wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Hit in the face again. Again?
1: You should just k- stop doing <laughs> this.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> i have to, Karen, it's my fucking job. Alright, it puts food on the table. My job is to get punched in the face. I'm literally (laughs) obligated. (laughs) And and when I get home, I want the food to be warm and on the
1: table. (laughs) I I want respect. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, again, they just keep beating up all the tax collectors. Um, Eventually, they start uh, writing uh, editorials to the local newspaper, the Pittsburgh Gazette, um, and basically uh they'll write these editorials calling for violence against the collaborators and uh trying to just uh drive up this uh rebellious feeling that's going on and the guy who was writing the editorials was a guy named john holcroft but he was using the pseudonym uh tom the tinker uh and tom the tinker basically became the uh embodiment of this rebellious attitude uh and people who uh people who were a part of the rebellion referred to themselves as tom uh tom tinker's men uh or if you were interrogating somebody you would say are you a friend of tom tinker uh and so that became kind of like this embot- when you do when you do of course <laughs> <laughs> am i a friend yeah yeah i mean i i love tom he's great <laughs> he's a <like>, cool dude <laughs> he picked me up from the air why is
0: my hand why are my hands tied <laughs>
1: <you>? <laughs> oh tom he picked me up from the uh, from the airport once. <laughs> He's a good guy. <laughs> um, but there, there started to be this growing uh, revolutionary uh, spirit that was going on. Uh, not only are they, you know, attacking the tax collectors, but there starts to be this new feeling of separation. Not only would Western Pennsylvania break off and become its own state, uh, they might uh, even collaborate with the British uh, or the Spanish because the Spanish controlled uh, the Mississippi River. So if they uh, they could ship goods down the Ohio out to the Mississippi, down through Louisiana. And so they were willing to uh you know not only leave pennsylvania but also leave the united states uh and so the federal government really starts to like take it seriously uh by the 1794 uh hamilton was really frustrated that he hadn't been able to do it yet Um, but uh the 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 real uh i guess climax of this rebellion uh, takes place in the summer of 1794 uh, so the, the federal government, uh, again, uh, didn't think they had the legal means to send in militia. So they sent in a U.S. marshal uh, named David Lennox. Uh, and Lennox was basically going to serve out um, summonses to all the illegal distillers. Uh, so if you hadn't paid your taxes or you were running an illegal distillery, uh, they're going to send summons for you and you would have to go to P- uh, Philly uh, to to go to court. So that's going to be a really... Un, uh, a big deal to these Western farmers. And one of the guys they go to uh, just uh, is this poor farmer. And he's just like, I can't afford to pay this tax. I'm trying to like sell my land and move to Kentucky. Uh, so he shoots at uh, Lennox, the, the marshal, and he, who had been accompanied by John Neville. Um, and so they both flee from this guy's farm. Uh, the local militia starts gathering and they're going to go attack uh, Neville's house up on Bower Hill, and Neville had been preparing for this. He basically barricaded his head, uh, had barricaded his entire house, and he had been training, <laughs> h- training his slaves uh, as uh, as his own like private militia force. Uh, what? Yeah, because he, I mean, he had been for years. You know, he had been afraid that you know these whiskey rebels were going to come attack him, and so he had been preparing for them to do so. Well, they finally do. Uh, a few dozen militia. Wait, why didn't his slaves go? Hey, thanks for the
0: guns. bro?
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's funny uh, when they they there's a they have a kind of a funny uh, uh, part in the story. We'll get to it. But the the militia um, lo- it was about thirty guys. They get uh, led by John Holcroft, uh, the guy who ra- wrote for Tom the Tinkerer in the paper. They go to Bower Hill uh, and basically. Start, start, just start shooting at his house uh, they they told him to like uh,
0: common theme in this a very story. common
1: theme they start shooting at the house and they, they asked him to like turn over the the u.s marshal and all of his papers uh he actually wasn't there so he couldn't even do it so they start shooting the house uh but neville had again he had barricaded his house so they couldn't um they couldn't get a like a, a shot on him they just kept hitting the side of the house and neville would shoot And then give the empty muskets to his wife and daughters, and they would reload the muskets for him while he was shooting against this militia. And he managed to, like, wound eight of his attackers... Uh, and so they call off the attack. Uh, they retreat to this old fort from the French and Indian War. Um, but there, all the local all the local militia starts gathering. Um, it's this group they called the, themselves the Mingo Creek Association, and it was about five hundred guys. They show up. The family that prays together stays together. They, they, Joe. they, they stay okay. together course <laughs> 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 uh but all these about 500 guys show up at this old fort um and then the next day they're gonna go back to the uh to the the farm and actually <laughs> burn it down this time uh and they uh, yeah. they pick this uh old school old school of course They pick uh, this uh, Revolutionary War officer named James McFarlane. Um, He was like this really respected uh, guy in the area, and he had been an officer in the war. And he leads the militia to Bower Hill. Uh, They demand that Neville and his family, you know, turn over the house uh, and the property and leave the area. and Neville, uh, decided to run away. Him and his family did get out. Uh, but the local, uh, federal force of 10 men from Fort Fayette went to defend the house against 500. Uh, and basically a firefight breaks out. They shoot at each other for about an hour. Eventually the militia in the house realizes they aren't going to be able to hold them off. They start setting the house on fire. Uh, and so they <laughs> surrender, and then uh the militia sets about just destroying all the houses on the property except uh for the slave quarters uh because the uh the enslaved black people there were basically like, hey we we didn't have any part of this please don't burn down our homes and they said all right we'll let you guys uh <laughs> we'll leave you guys be so they burned down all the houses uh or all the buildings except for the uh slave quarters very nice of them nice <laughs> um and so the battle of bower hill was over um very few casualties but it represented kind of a, a an escalation uh, in the conflict this is no longer just vigilante action it's not just armed mobs tarring and feathering guys this is like a real military force that's coming out and fighting uh and so uh, two weeks later after they burned down uh The plantation, 6,000 men gather uh, at a place called Braddock's Field. uh, And they, it's guys from all over western Pennsylvania and western Virginia. And they're like, we're going to fight the federal government and uh, we're going to resist this tax, uh, this whiskey tax uh, by any means necessary. Uh, and basically they spend this, uh, they meet in this field and they start, you know, they're shooting off guns and they're drinking whiskey and guys are giving speeches. Uh, and they, they get the idea that they're going to go burn down Pittsburgh, uh, because they saw like the, the city or like the actual settlement of Pittsburgh as being, you know, the, uh, the cause of all of their problems. Arbiter,
0: yeah. The arbiter of the federal government. Yeah.
1: So that's where, you know, all the, the wealthy people live in Pittsburgh, uh, all the tax. Do you think this, good
0: do, uh, do you think this could have been like solved with like a shot for shot battle between like um, like Neville and uh, and Hamilton <laughs> well i I think like it is weird how the
1: increasingly Neville becomes like their target because like at a certain point it's not only just like the whiskey tax is bad but also Neville himself is bad and he has to go so yeah I think like if he had like gone out and like dueled against one of them they could have settled it all there but uh but neville ran away so he like he escaped and he went to philadelphia to to cry to hamilton uh, about what had happened to him uh pussy uh but so uh, in this uh, in this this <laughs> m- militia meeting, there's all these speeches. There are people who are you know, saying we should go burn down Pittsburgh. Um, Hugh Henry Brackenridge, he's trying to be the voice of moderation. And he Brackenridge was always kind of sympathetic to the Westerners, but he was also a nationalist. He did believe in like uh, a Republican government. So he was not again. He was against separation and he was also against the violence because he's he's basically saying, you know, this is going to come back to hurt us in the end um he did convince them not to burn down pittsburgh they just uh they did a march through the town just as a demonstration but uh they didn't uh destroy any of the town except for the local like military commander's uh house they burned that down um but so they they, they continue to meet uh, these radical leaders start to really take over. Um, there, I, I mentioned before, like uh, the guy John and David Hamilton. They're kind of the radical guys. There's a guy, another guy named David Bradford. He was one of the wealthier uh, landowners in Washington County, Pennsylvania. Um, but he started becoming a leader in in encouraging the violence. And he, uh, David Bradford, kind of tried to style himself after uh, Maximilian Robespierre, the uh, one of the leaders of the French Revolution. Um, and that was one of the things that really scared the federal government was they were terrified of what was happening in France and the, uh, the way like the French terror was, was going about and they feared that this Western rebellion was going to become, um, like their own kind of French, uh, French revolution. Yeah. And, and that's the thing they, they really wanted to avoid. Um, but while, while they're having this, uh, conference at a place called Parkinson Ferry, uh, today called whiskey point, um, the federal, gov- yeah. the federal government sent out more, um, basically, ne- uh, negotiators. They are like, We're going to try to calm these people down. We're going to try one last time at a. Tar and feather them. <laughs> Tarn feather them. Uh, they did not tar and feather these guys. They were too important to tar and feather. Uh, it was the Attorney General of the United States, uh, one of the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court justice, and a senator. And basically, they offered the rebels. Uh, if you submit to the federal government unanim- unanimously, uh, we'll we won't do anything. But we're we're gonna come and we're gonna come and kill you guys. <laughs> like we're raising uh, a large militia force, and if you don't surrender, we're gonna come and arrest and execute all of you. Um, and so the. They they continue to debate over what they're going to do. Um, some of the more moderate leaders like Brackenridge uh, are giving speeches and trying to like like this is our this is our best chance. Let's like just submit to the government. They're going to pardon us if we do so. Uh, another guy who uh, one of uh, one of the other moderate leaders was Albert Gallatin. Uh, he was a Swiss-born immigrant who eventually became the secretary under the treasury uh, of the treasury under Jefferson, uh, and he gave this rousing speech that uh, called for moderation and submission to the government and supposedly that swayed a bunch of people and then they held a secret vote uh, to determine you know what are we going to do are we going to continue to resist or are we going to submit uh, and shockingly despite like all the radicals that have been you know fomenting all of this the the moderates won um, 34 to 23 they voted for submission uh, but the problem was okay. the federal government offered uh pardons only if they unanimously decided to submit uh so even though uh so it kind of
0: that's not fun no it's not and in
1: fact that was kind of what hamilton had wanted he wanted um he wanted to divide the rebels which he was able to do so he he kind of drove a wedge between them but because they didn't unanimously vote to submit they now have the excuse to use uh military force Oh shit! and really this peace kind of peace mission was just meant to like buy time for them to actually like raise the troops um to go and fight them um, the old switcheroo the old baby. switcheroo what's good for the goose is good for the gander um so the again Hamilton and his allies were very happy. They had been planning this military uh, expedition for a while, and finally they can they can actually do it. Um, they raised thirteen thousand militiamen uh, from Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, and New Jersey, and it was actually the between the end of the American Revolution and the Mexican War which is in the 1840s it was the largest federal army uh, ever like mobilized uh f- for about a period of f- 50 years um oh shit and so 13,000 guys uh start marching into uh kind of the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains uh, they wait uh over the winter uh and then and the 1795 they start marching in but basically as soon as the uh the threat of the federal army coming to get them the rebellion just kind of totally falls apart um, yeah. Even the more radical guys like John and David Hamilton or Dan- Daniel Hamilton and Bradford were basically like, "We can't fight these guys because you know they're twice our size and we don't have
0: thirteen thousand troops." We'll do thirteen will do
1: 13000 Yeah, that's a uh, it's a big number. <laughs> uh, they and they basically they just didn't have the supplies to fight an extended war, uh, and so basically anybody who had been, uh had been one of the leaders of the rebellion either signs uh you know a letter of submission or they flee the country um a lot of them end up going to like kentucky or into the louisiana territory um and but the the federal expedition um they you know they you know they got thirteen thousand guys we mobilize them might as well march all the way to pittsburgh just uh <laughs> we got the army you get, know. Some get some practice practice some practice in. um Washington we're talking about practice <laughs> talking about practice not a not, not a war not a war <laughs> practice <laughs> um but Washington he was uh he actually led the troops at one point as uh, some historians say he's the only uh sitting president to lead uh to lead an army uh during an operation um Hamilton came along as well. He was uh, served as like the, the city uh, the uh, served as secretary of war. And then the other person who was in charge of the southern force of so the Virginia troops was uh, the governor of Virginia, Major General Henry Lee, the third, um, better known as Light Horse Harry Lee. Uh, he had been uh, one of Washington's uh, cavalry commanders during the revolution. Uh, and he also was the father of Robert E. Lee um so fun little connection there uh that one of the uh, who uh, robert e lee you ever heard of him oh yeah i think he has a statue somewhere uh, <laughs> uh, i don't think so. not not for long but uh i, I do think there's a, an interesting irony in the fact that the guy who because uh, lee actually washington leaves because he's got a lot of back problems so he goes back to philadelphia uh Henry Lee becomes the commander of the expedition, and so the leader of the military force that's going to put down the first major uh, insurrection in American history. His son would go on to lead the largest insurrection in American history. <laughs> all, that's crazy. all comes back around. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so. Again, the the rebellion just falls apart really quickly. Uh, all those six thousand men who had gathered uh, at the at the field in August of 1794, they kind of scatter apart. Most of the people who were involved again kind of sign. Uh, submission uh letters to the government all the leaders uh flee uh and hamilton is a little disappointed because he wanted to uh you know he wanted to send in troops he wanted like an actual battle and he wanted to crush the rebellion uh but he kind of he uh he did get one wish uh was fulfilled they did uh start to uh, permanently, uh, occupy the, the area with a military force. Um, they enlarge in Fort Fayette in Pittsburgh. (laughs) And so there will be troops in the Pittsburgh region, at least for the, the next few decades. Uh, so Hamilton was, uh, was happy about that part of it. Um, and the, but the other thing that they were upset about was that they didn't have anybody to really, um, they didn't have anyone to make an example out of. Uh, Because there were a few famous people Who are people who were famous at the time Who were involved in this Uh, Albert Gallatin he was one of the moderate guys Uh, Brackenridge was kind of a notable Figure Uh, another uh, Pennsylvania politician uh, William Finley was uh, Also one of the guys they had hoped to Arrest but all the moderate people That were the more famous ones None of them had been involved in the violence They had been the guys who had been trying to Calm down uh, the radicals And so all the more radical leaders were nobodies they were just these kind of poor western farmers maybe a few of them had some notoriety but uh the government was disappointed that they didn't have anybody that they could execute <laughs> or at least like somebody they could like make an example out of uh, don't it suck though it don't it suck uh, but they did end up uh, arresting about 20 guys. Um, they arrested Colonel John Hamilton uh, because he, he was one of the few guys who didn't flee. Uh, they also arrested Herman Husband, uh, old Herman Husband from North Carolina, leader of the regulators. Um, he had been kind of on the periphery of the Whiskey Rebellion. He uh, encouraged uh, them to resist the tax, and he believed that uh, they, they morally they were in the right, that the federal government was evil and they represented good and that they should fight the tax collectors he did uh but he also was again being a quaker he was against the violence that they were committing but he was basically the most mm-hmm. famous guy that they could arrest so uh cause husband had been known for a couple of decades and so him and hamilton and a few of these other guys get arrested and they get taken back to philadelphia uh no one gets convicted uh basically all the charges uh, most of them had already signed you know surrender uh letters of submission or to surrender to the government so the government basically just had no case against any of them uh and eventually just released them all uh and i think the thing about the whiskey rebellion is it is i i I think the the build-up is there's so much build-up to it and then it just kind of ends um because the federal government sends troops in they arrest a few people most of them yeah no one
0: no one comes yeah
1: there was no, there's no great climactic battle. It just kind of fizzles out. Um, yeah, and and then basically things kind of go back to normal. Um, you know, the the whiskey tax was st- stood in place for a little bit, but basically people just did what they always did. They would just uh, distill whiskey illegally, um, and so. <laughs> those who could afford to get back to the fundamentals <laughs> cheating on your taxes <laughs> yeah uh a cl- uh our classic american pastime but uh no so it basically just ends the poor farmers kind of go back to what they were doing before um the Neville's john Neville and his family eventually come back to pittsburgh and uh mo- pretty much most of these guys just kind of go back to the lives they lived before uh and then it's over Um, eventually though, the whiskey tax was repealed, uh, during the Jefferson administration, they got rid of it. Uh, so in the end they got rid of the, the whiskey tax and, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's basically the end of the story.
0: All right. Well, uh, how do you, how do you think this applies today? So like the things that jump out at me, uh, that it's the first time like America is gonna be like all right we're a centralized government we're gonna impose ourselves in this regard mm-hmm. um what else how else do you what else do you think of them well, like what else do you think about like what's significant about this so i mean you know i i was reading this uh this story
1: you know while there's been you know protests all over you know, uh, the united states uh in r- response to Uh, police brutality, black lives matter movement. And I I do think there are some interesting kind of parallels between the whiskey rebellion and and this current protest movement. Uh, One of them is, is there, I feel like what happened there then and what's happening now is that there's this, uh, this buildup of anger and resentment, um, in their case it was against you know the federal government and the tax authority uh and now it's uh against kind of uh police in the united states um and it it was the result of you know years and years of resentment and anger uh and then kind of this spontaneous uh act of you know uh Act of riot or act of um, violence, and I think that's that. That's I, I think the the things they share in most. Uh, the things they are they have the most in common is that it's just the spontaneous act of violence as opposed to this something that was planned and organized and one of the things that I think one of the downfalls of the whiskey rebellion uh, was that there was no real organization behind it you know there were a few leaders uh, and there were people who were trying to kind of take control of the situation um, but it was a lot of just kind of random acts of violence uh, that, I mean that I mean of, of course they were targeted at the tax collectors uh, but in the end you know it was something that was is not sustainable and i think that's something that I, that could be compared to the, the current protest movement that's going on right now is that again there's n- it doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh leadership or even really long uh any coherent long-term goals or strategy uh, it it seems that things are constantly changing and that there's no real direction that things are just kind of moment by moment are are changing yeah, it's,
0: it's it's just a it's just a um a manifestation of emotion, rather, which uh, rather than like a a structured plan. Yeah, uh, you know, like they're they're not they're not, they're not capturing the emotion. Yeah,
1: and I, I think yeah. uh, one of the things when I when I talk to people who uh, are opposed to the protests or the riots. Um, a lot. I mean, a lot of people have this idea that there's this grand organization behind all of it, and it's all funded by you know Soros or whatever it is. Uh, but I, I do think you know these are just genuine kind of you know uh, just spontaneous acts of uprising. Uh, and it, again, it's just kind of what happened. How how much can a, a group of people be pushed before they like start to push back? Um, but I, but the other thing you know and. That is interesting. Is you know, the use of you know the federal, uh, federal military force to put down riots, um, and it's interesting to see you know the debate that's happening with that now in the United States, uh, and compare that to what was happening in the 1790s.
0: Yes, and also, like uh, this reminds me a lot of um, when uh, like. Trump was considering like using troops mm-hmm. to quell rebellions right now or, or protests Ins- or insurrection riots or yeah, whatever. whatever you want to call it yeah uh, and then so it's like but it's like that is a it's it, it, like under like thinking like when I was reading this I didn't think it was that significant but then thinking about like how different like today like if, if you were to use the military to quell a civilian population, like that is very significant and, mm-hmm. and and even back then it was it was very significant it was a it was a like put it was very clearly enforcing a structure it was saying this is the, the them to rules okay and so and so yeah so like choosing not to do it and like choosing not to use the military which which ended up happening right now because they didn't use the military um it was a it was going okay this is, does not meet the the level of like the military like yeah the the united states loses something when they uh sacrifice that social contract contract
1: military actions happening during this time one was the you know the uh The militia that was raised to suppress the whiskey rebellion the other one was also uh the first federal professional army was created uh in the same at that same time to go fight um the shawnee and miami indians the the northwest indian war and the same day um that the federal negotiators came to parkinson's ferry to negotiate with the whiskey rebels uh there was a federal army that was uh defeated the shawnee um and Miami Confederation at the Battle of Fallen Timbers. And so, um, you know, right from the beginning of the country, you know, the military was used to quell, you know, civilian uprisings, uh, and it was used uh, to drive out the Native population. And I think it's something that, you know, people seem a little uncomfortable with that today or those ideas. But again, I think, you know, this is, that was, they were used that way early and often. (laughs)
0: yeah but I mean at the same time like it was like no one at the time no one believed that like you know you, you'll see you you believe you have a federal federal government when you see it, yeah, Do you know what I'm saying, so it's like it doesn't like the you know we're America that didn't really it wasn't the same like uh oh of course, you yeah. know it didn't hold the same place in people's minds
1: well yeah again it it was a thing of you know the reason why it lasted for so long and even be pro partially was because again like you can tax us you know come in and enforce that tax see what happens um and the federal yeah, the, and yeah. there was no you know they had to create an army or a militia out of scratch because there was no standing army to go and do that and that it was interesting but it's interesting seeing like the legal you know uh you know process of that like beginning to happen um and a, yeah. a big part of it was you know the like the governor of pennsylvania also resisted federal intervention they said you know this is uh, a state problem this is not a problem with the federal government and hamilton argued he says no in the constitution it says that the federal government has the right to enforce all federal taxes uh and if the uh, the federal government has also the right to use militia um to enforce that uh, and so there was a huge yeah. debate about that in that time and yeah, it is interesting, you know, are these insurrections, these riots, is this something that should be dealt with at the local level, or, you know, when is it acceptable for the government uh, to send in troops, uh, and uh, you, you could see even the people who were, I mean, because Washington and all of this, you know, he's very, comf- he, uh, he's comfortable with the idea of using troops, but, uh, you know, again exhaust all legal means uh first and once you use troops you know you're crossing a line that you you know can't really come back from yes um yeah uh do you have any other thoughts about uh about this story any uh any other things that might relate to what's going on right now
0: um i mean it's obvious it's obviously very different in that like uh the morality of it is is different, you know what I'm saying? Like we're we're not talking about we're talking about whiskey uh in instead of like people. Yeah. So so like, you know, an unfair tax while I am not. Like like I don't want I don't want like a tax that sucks. Like I don't want to I mean no one wants to be taxed at all. Like do like we all want to be but like we all understand that like we uh, we want roads and shit. So uh <laughs> So and, and then we can debate about like exactly like what is the most efficient way to do that. Um but we all want like you know government to to take care of certain things that would be impossible for individuals to do and it would not be it's less desirable for like a corporation to do. Sure. Um so so we want that to ha- to occur. Um uh, so like taxes of whiskey it's like we i like i get why there's like a i get like the feeling being similar but like the the actual like result is like completely different and but 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 i think the bigger question is like and, and and it's been proven in this moment with like um what like you know using the use of force to like stop civil unrest right like Mm -hmm. when is that okay and like you know we we're a country built on civil unrest so how do you like it's a decent debate to have is like when like you know like we love revolution not but like and that just depends where you stand though like we love like we love our revolution from england we like every american loves that we stuck it to a colonizing England who was taxing us, right? Yeah. Well, Um, and and I
1: think another interesting kind of thing that's going on right now with the statues being taken down, um, you know, why, especially Confederate statues, because, you know, what is it, what's, Necessarily wrong, or what's what is the reason for taking down a Confederate statue? Because I've seen different arguments for it. One, you know, they were slaveholders. That's like a, a big thing. But again, you know, most of the founding fathers uh, were slaveholders as well, or involved in the slave trade to some degree. Um, and so, what what's and then another argument people will make is like, well, they committed treason. Um, it's like, well, of, sure they did, but then again, that same thing could be said of of all the founding fathers. I mean, you know, they committed treason. Well,
0: I mean, the the, the problem is like, you know, I, I do think that we uh, our cult uh, our I think that humanity has appreciated over time, uh, and 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 even though maybe there was short depressions uh of in in periods but i think overall like in the long game we've and i think it's actually not even debatable like if you're considering like how we used to live as cavemen to now right like you used to be able to just beat up someone that like try that looked at your you know, like if you wanted to have sex with someone, you just took them to your cave or whatever. You know, like that kind of society. I don't know if that's how cavemen did it, but I think I don't know. I, I'm sure I think they, they were. were gentlemen. They were. They were gentlemen. <laughs> uh, no, I mean so, we, we've, so, crea- like, we've
1: no, we've created the safest like society in human history. Uh,
0: exactly, we have. Yes, so so like while that exists, um, like w- and, like we we do appreciate in that way. Um like I do think that it is okay to judge figures of history in a different lens, right? Like because they were of their time. Sure. Yeah. Um and but at the same time, my other argument against monuments is one, who cares about monuments? But two, <laughs> uh <laughs> two is like I actually think that all art should be uh not not necessarily destroyed, but like um art and the or legacy really more legacy than art but should be uh not sacred okay so the idea that like 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 so let's say there's a statue and it's like uh or even like a famous work of art in a museum which is like really beautiful i think like i think like the the holding on to it um kind of constrains us for the future that we go like okay this is like what greatness was Mm -hmm. instead of looking forward and to say what is greatness what, what, can we, what can we achieve? Who can be the next statue? Let's not let's, let's worry about a previous statue. Let's build a new statue. Yeah. And that should be our, our goal instead of, you know.
1: I think um, a big thing with the statues, too, is so much of it, I mean, is just symbology. Um, and that you right know, now with the current movement, you know, people want change and they want change now. It's hard to like JG Wentworth. <laughs> Eight <episode laughs> change now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's our change, and we want it now. Uh, but that is like people want things to move quicker, but because of you know just the the way our society or our or government is structured, change comes very slowly, if at all. Uh, but one thing you can do is you can tear down a statue right now, um, and so a lot of you know, again, a big thing that I think what's right happening right now is there's just so much anger and resentment that's being you know, built up, you know, that energy has to go somewhere. And for a while, it was marching and demonstrations and, and some results, or some cases, there was looting and rioting and burning down buildings. And, uh, and now it seems like that energy is being kind of really focused on tearing down the statues and i and someone said that, i forgot who said this but um kind of a point i heard i, was, I thought was interesting is that the the, the statue is like the symbology of putting up a statue and tearing it down is almost more important than the statue itself it's like why is it yes. what is important uh what is, make make something so important that we must put up a statue for it, yes, and then why or tear it down? And then yeah, why is it yeah. so important that we must tear that down? So I think there's something really interesting there that uh, a a dialogue, yeah. a, a conversation that we're not exactly ha- having right now. Um,
0: I, I i mean i mean i i my uh dream for society is a continual erecting and tearing down of statues yeah i mean that is like because that's progress statues
1: are be- are put up and then they're and they're torn down and there's something interesting in in that in, in that alone uh, but yeah i agree you know i'm i'm not really attached to any of these statues they're you know I am not against tearing them down, but I also feel like there's a lot of energy maybe wasted in tearing them down. But again, it's it, that that'll is history in and of itself that'll be interesting to talk about years later.
0: I also I also call bullshit on the fact that like the like and like no one has any attachment to statues except for recently. You know what I mean? Like no one literally like if it wasn't for this debate about should you know people like so there's a certain group of people want to tear down statues and like uh if it wasn't for them if there was like a, a, a another reason they were like hey we're trying to build this road we're gonna move this statue no one give a sh- like literally no give a shit like it was just it would like no one holds statues like public statues to any regard in their consciousness like they're they're just like yeah whatever people, uh
1: it, it, again most people don't even like You know, they see a statue; they don't even think about it. It's just something that's there. Yeah, Um, people don't
0: like people don't even read the plaque. That's like it's got information (laughs) about it. No one's like, I don't care. There's it's a statue. It's a guy. It's ah, it's Napoleon. Whatever. People are (laughs) defending them,
1: you know, purely for cultural reasons and because it's
0: you know, well, it's it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a cultural war. Yeah. So or not a war, but it's a a battle of some sort.
1: (laughs) Couple battles in a row, and then you got yourself a war there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're I think we're going to wrap up this. Uh, we learned a lot. Learned a lot about. I think so too. Um, risky, tarrying
0: and feathering. See, what are we at? We're at uh, an, almost two hours. Uh, okay. So for the next podcast, uh, do you have any ideas? I have some ideas. It was someone
1: had, uh, someone sent us an email a while back about doing something Cold War related. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of something like a little something a little more modern. We've been doing a little older stuff. So maybe we'll do some more modern history, something 20th century related. But uh Okay, okay. So that might be what, what we What about do.
0: um what about a uh, uh do you want to do want to do something about Arkansas?
1: Arkansas. Oh, that uh I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but let me let me let me Cuz like how how would
0: you how would you like if if we got if we got some uh some plane tickets, would we would you come down to Arkansas and uh and do one with me there?
1: Um how lo- wait, yeah, how long are you gonna be there?
0: Uh trace.
1: Oh, trace Messe's. Um Yeah, I might be able to do that. I mean don't think i can I'm- we go
0: do like a historic site, go to the Battle of Arkansas <laughs> that happened somewhere, which I'm sure was over like barbecue or some <laughs> bullshit, but
1: uh yeah i might be down for that let's yeah let's let's try to plan something
0: what do you think how do you think about like this video this uh distance learning that we're doing here today
1: this is interesting i mean like it's 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 kind of a little awkward doing it this way but uh you get used to it i guess
0: i agree i feel like i like i i don't have as much energy without you here yeah um but i also it is convenient yeah it's very convenient, yeah. Uh,
1: but I, I, what? It's, I think it was good just to try it this way, just see what it was like. Yeah, and we
0: should, and we should do it again next month because we're gonna, because I'm gonna be away. How about this? We'll we'll close on this. Uh, is there anyone? So if you made like listen, and, and if any of our listeners have made it to this point, I appreciate you. Um, you know, like doing it, uh, doing the over the phone podcast is definitely difficult. Um, and like Joe and I are out of practice. Are as everyone else's lives have been uh, disrupted, and we're trying to figure out how how to proceed. Um, what uh, any any listeners that you want to shout out that you know that listen to the podcast that you're like thankful for?
1: Oh yeah, I can give some shout outs. Um, uh, I want to give a shout out to Tony Posniak. Uh, Fuck yeah, in, Tony, uh, Ohio, big listener of the show. I uh, saw him read saw him recently he gave he said uh, uh he said very nice things about it um who else um brad uh brad white my old co-worker who i haven't seen in a while uh but i know he's a big time listener of the show uh his uh chris beaudry another uh old uh co-worker and friend also a good listener of the show uh and i'll give a shout out to uh duffy maddox uh my fiance. Uh, who, oh, she's a I good listener. See, I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to see if she'll listen to this. Uh, anyone you want to shout out, Rob?
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, also, Duffy. She makes the best macaroons. Um, and uh, Michi V, uh, my lady. She also listens. Um, but let's see. Besides that, uh, let's see. Um, uh, Matt, Matt Hooley and, and Don Macedo from Minnesota. They, uh, they, listen. I don't know if they're gonna get this far. They'll probably get drunk by the time halfway <laughs> through and, and quit. But uh, if you do, if you listen, if you guys listen, if you guys heard your name and you listen to this point, um, send it. Uh, send us an email at excuse me history at gmail dot com, and we'll send you a free t shirt. That's your reward for getting through it. <laughs> uh, it's Sean and Lindsay from work that I used to work with. They used to always like compliment on the podcast, and I thought that was really cool because I didn't like promote it to them, but they did. Um, and let's see, who else? Uh, Julia from Connecticut. She always messaged me on Facebook, and I appreciate that. Uh, so that's awesome. And so, yeah, so it really means a lot when you guys do that. There's a couple other people, but I can't remember them. Right oh, I, yeah, I but remember. Next week, we'll do it.
1: I remember one more. Uh, John Ramsire, another, okay. another good friend of mine who I also know. I He listens to every one of these. So, uh, And I forgot your name tell me that you like the podcast more and i'll remember you
0: <laughs> and then you get shout out next next time we'll also yeah if you also want we'll shout out your um, your like uh, your your social media if you're into that if you want like promotion on on your thing and uh, we got some t-shirts that uh, you can uh, send us an email for so
1: all right rob all
0: right, all right joe Well,
1: this has been fun i'll
0: you've, this has been me
1: history thanks man